hear these words of Jesus to his disciples from the Gospel of John. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you desolate. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no longer, but you will see me because I live. You will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. There was once a literature professor who had a classroom full of students that he wished to quiz. He said, class, tell me, what is the most important part of any story? The teacher's pet raised her hand real quickly and said, it's the middle part. That's the most important part. The teacher said, the middle she took a moment to gather her thoughts to defend her point of view. She said, well, yeah, the middle is where the meat of a story takes place. That's where the protagonist comes against the problem, and there's some sort of hopeful resolution. So I guess that's the most important part. He gave her a look that simply said, wrong. Another teacher raised his hand and said, or another student raised his hand to the teacher and said, it must be the end. The end's the whole point, isn't it? So it's what we're working towards. The end's the most important part. The teacher sighed, <sighs> took off his spectacles, cleaned them with his hanky, and he said, students, the beginning. It is the beginning that is the most important. If you don't listen or hear or read the beginning, how will you know where you are in the story? Beginnings are important any astute reader of the Bible will realize that it begins rather wonderfully, in the beginning, God. And from there forward, we have a theological groundwork for so many wonderful things to be understood in the Bible's middle and its end. And for those of you who have also read further in the Bible to St. John's Gospel, it begins very similarly. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. St. John is trying to say something here about the Word or Jesus, that Jesus has some part in the content of the beginning. So beginnings for Christians are incredibly important. But today, on a day like this one, in a time such as this, I feel the need to remind you too that the middle is quite important. For you see, most of Christian existence happens in the middle in the between of Christ's first and his second comings. This is where, in fact, you and I participate in Christian discipleship. This is our own place in God's grand epic. Just look at this morning's gospel reading. In it, Jesus prepares his followers for a certain inevitable truth. In a moment's time, imminently, Jesus tells them, our physical fellowship will no longer 
be like it is now. He tells them there's coming a time where I won't be with you in body. You can read more about that in verses 15 through 17. But in preparing him for this new reality of discipleship, Jesus imparts upon them a foundational commandment that they can put in the bank. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Pretty straightforward. But it really is a good way to honor a sovereign, especially when a sovereign is not present with the sovereign's people. You've read mythology before, right? And heard the old stories of Robin Hood. The myth has changed over time. One of the tellings that I enjoy the most is it says that King Richard the Lionheart was a great king over his people. He ruled well and with wisdom and virtue. But he went to go fight in the Third Crusade, and on the crown sat a despot king said somebody who was only to fill it for a time. He was tyrannical, and his name was King John, his little brother. He ruled with a harsh fist, right? He levied huge taxes upon the people, and when they couldn't pay, he threw them right away into debtor's prison. Robin Hood and his merry men subvert King John in all the ways that he inflicts pain upon the people. And whenever there are showdowns, Robin Hood lets them know, you're not living according to the ways of King Richard, your brother. You're not honoring his way of leading us. In this particular telling, King Richard comes home from the Third Crusade, though most historians note that King Richard probably never came home from the Third Crusade. But in the telling I like, he gets to showdown with his little brother and tells him, you were not about my business here. Indeed, a good way to honor Christ is to be obedient to the ways of Christ, even if he's not present physically there anymore. Yet I wonder, did the news of his imminent absence create a a bit of anxiety in the hearts of those disciples? It would for me. I would probably abruptly throw my hand up and say, so you're telling me that you're not going to be here with us while we're doing your mission? You're not going to be there to watch over us or to get our backs? That's liable to get us killed. Because, you know, for me, whenever I come up against angsty thoughts, my mind goes immediately to the worst-case scenario. But friends, the mission did indeed get many people killed For it's a dangerous business to proclaim that this one called Christ has been risen from the grave. And it's even more dangerous, especially in the world of empire, to claim that the one who had been risen from the grave was also God made manifest and king. Many did indeed die for this. Oh, and it becomes more difficult because it's not just a proclamation about a few beliefs. It actually came with a new allegiance. You see, the disciples had to say, there is in fact a new king, and there's a new kingdom, and y'all need to come on aboard. Remember, again, time of empire. Yet we're saying that this peasant Jew is the new king instead of Caesar, and we're saying that his kingdom is better than Rome. If that kind of language and talk doesn't get you killed, it at at least makes your loved ones, your friends, and your family look at you a bit strange. The truth is, when new political movements come on the scene, even in our own time, we mostly look at them with a lot of suspicion. 
I remember at my last ministry, I worked with a lot of young adults, and there was one gal who quit coming to our evening Eucharistic meetings for about three weeks, and I asked about where she was, and I, said, and I was told, well, she's a part of the Occupy movement. And to be frank, not a lot of us knew what the Occupy movement was. This is how early we were talking about this being on the scene. So I drove down to Illinois State University, and I walked onto the quad, and I walked towards the library where I could see people being surrounded by some police tape, and I could hear shouts, and I could hear songs, and then I saw my friend. She hadn't been washed in several days, I could tell. She had been camping out there, and I said, friend, what's going on? What's this all about? I hadn't been reading much up on it at the time. And she says, well, I'm here to show those one percenters who's boss. And she waved her fist at the business building, which made me blush because at that time my wife was getting her MBA in that same business building. <laughs> but her friend next to her told me something about socialism. And then her friend over here talked to me about the Catholic worker movement. I sat there trying to get my mind around what was happening with Occupy, but I got to be honest, I never quite did. Nevertheless, as I tried to learn of it, I noticed the world around me just mostly scratching their heads, some criticisms. Oh, but that movement's a bit strange, isn't it? Can you imagine in Jesus' own time, a peasant Jew is king? from a small corner of the empire is supposed to become the head over all empires? I bet people looked at people who proclaimed such things like they were a bit odd, to say the least. But here's the thing that Jesus tells his disciples in the midst of all that anxiety is you're not going to be alone. In this between time, you won't be alone. Look at verses 18 through 21. There he tells them specifically that in this between time of his first and second coming, Jesus' disciples won't be left holding the bag for they will have a friend. As I noted just a moment ago, the Spirit of God is a friend and counselor, and it's the friend and counselor for disciples who live in that odd time called between. Now, I'd like to consider more out loud with you this between language and what I mean. In Christian theology, the time between Christ's first coming where he inaugurates a kingdom and its message and his second coming where he will come and restore and fulfill and make right all the stuff that he said he would at the beginning, in that in-between time, Christian theology has came up with a fancy word called the saeculum. It is the Latin word behind another word you probably know well called secular but the saeculum, the time in between, does not carry some of the baggage that you and I would associate with secularity. That is to say, this is not about the time where the holy lacks space in our universe. Rather, it is a time where Christians are on mission, always reminding others about the holy and the holy presence of God in between as we wait and as we work towards God and God's good ends. Friends... The saeculum, the time in between, is really the time that we all live in. It's a time of expectation and memory. It's a time of anticipation and hope. And it's a time where you work, but you don't work alone. Christ reassures his followers in today's lesson that they will never walk their journey alone, for they will be guided by the Holy Spirit 
They are led by the providence of the Father. And here's a really beautiful, heartwarming picture. Christ will live continuously in their hearts. This call, this call of living discipleship in the between is one where we're all invited to participate in the triune life of God in full. And we're just simply told over and over again that we won't be left alone. Specifically, verse 21 tells us that people who walk with Christ in the between, well, they will get continual revelation about Christ in their own lives. When you guys read the Bible carefully, the middle, this between time of Christian discipleship is notably difficult. According to scriptures elsewhere, it tells us that this time is fraught with wars, rumors of wars, famines, mass political and ideologically led killings. It also tells us there will be joys as well as sorrows. But I want now for us all to think about how we've lived in this between time and how it's taken shape historically. Some of us here have experienced severe economic depressions. Others, severe and large-scale wars. Most all of us, major and significant ecological damages. Others have experienced different pressures that are no, they're different, but they're no less challenging to the faithful pursuit of following Christ. Who is not amongst us, for example, fault and felt the powerful, implicit external strains of our calendars? Today, there seems to be little or no room for church anymore, let alone Sabbath rest under the hegemonic forces of work deadlines, travel sports schedules, play practices, and practice SAT exams. Today's counter forces slyly subvert faithfulness to Christ under the guise of free choice and give your family everything that you didn't have. Trust me, it's good. Being profoundly religious today by outsiders is something that is probably best simply noted as a weird lifestyle choice. I have a friend who was a young mommy and she was in a mommy's group. Every week she'd go to the same park and sit with other mommies on these park benches, you know, alongside of each other, but always looking out to the playground, watching their children play. One day, another mommy said to my friend, why don't you come over to our son's birthday party. It's on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. But if you don't know this, this is a thing now. Birthday parties on Sunday morning, it's huge. Well, my friend, she goes, I, I, don't, I don't know, guys. I, I think we're a bit busy. That well, What do you got? You got another birthday party? You got mimosas at the club? No, um, no, we, we, uh, we see, we, we got Sunday school in church at 10 o'clock on Sunday, so I don't think we can make it. The other mommies were dumbfounded. <gasps> One of them is amongst us. And you know, there was that awkward silence then. What do you say then, right? So one of the moms tried to fill that awkward silence by saying, well, we, we go to church too, uh, mostly Christ, Christmas and Easter. because we're, we're, not, we're not like weirdly religious or anything, but we, you know, we, you know. And it really alienated that mommy that time because Life in the middle now, even though it doesn't look dangerous, it is profoundly and dangerously antithetical to Christianity. Being a disciple who loves Jesus by following his commands in the time called the between of today, 
It's still a thankless task, and it's one that is kind of rendered without having much power to it. My wife's Aunt Diane went into a grocery store in Advent season, and on her way out, she said to the, che- the cashier, Merry Christmas. And that cashier said to her, Have a blessed day. Meanwhile, the manager heard this and ran over and dressed down the cashier. Never will you ever again say anything so offensive as have a blessed day, God bless you, or Merry Christmas. My Aunt Diane and this cashier appeared odd today. Well, friends, that's just saying the least of it all. Because the truth is, the nature of our life in the between is profound and its vocation is deeper than any words I can offer today because Christians are called to simply be weird. We're called to do the strange thing of stepping in front of an assailant with a gun and a possible, possible victim. We're called to bring in the unlovable into our homes. You know, bringing in the unlovable, unwanted ones and starting hospitals was just one way the ancient church in the Roman Empire appeared weird first place. We are to keep that work up. We are to be caring for the least, the last, and the lost. And friends, 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 we're even called to share our resources. We're called to all sorts of strange things when we come to the form of Christian discipleship we call in the between and it's weird because it calls us to mission, and that mission is thorough. It has total claim over our lives. If you want to go forth from here today and feel really weird in the between, just become ordained as a minister, priest, or pastor. You guys are welcome to the weird people. You'll go to dinner parties, and you'll be talking with people, and they will finally say to you something like, what do you do for a living? And you notice you haven't told them because you didn't want to. And you will learn how to grimace on the inside so no one sees it on your face. And then you will say, you are a priest, a pastor, a minister. And then they will say this. They will go, oh, oh my dear, I'm so sorry for my crass language earlier. I'm so sorry. Or they will try to very politely pivot away from your conversation to another one. Bring someone in so you can't evangelize them. Well, we are ordaining too for specific vocational ministry today, but let me tell you this. You don't actually have to be ordained in a church and wear a stole to be a priest in God's kingdom. We're all called to be priests of God's kingdom, which means we're all called to make Jesus known. And we're all called to bring God's ways to bear on the world around us. That'll make you weird in this between time as we wait for Jesus' second coming, but finding our inspiration from his first coming. But that is the time in which you live. That is your place in the story. It calls you to priestly mission. And our missional lives fit really thickly into the Bible's thick middle in a time where no one promised you things would be easy. But you were promised that you wouldn't be alone. As long as you love God and keep his commandments, the friend of God, the friend of us, the Holy Spirit will be with you. So I bless you all, and you too in particular, to go forward in this in-between moment in the strong name of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I bless you.